0: Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Theology in the Raw. My guest on the show today is Lori Ferguson Wilbert. Um, <clears throat> I came across Lori's work on Twitter. Gosh, must have been maybe six or seven years ago. I'll never forget um, in the midst of writing a book. I forget which book I was working on, but I remember uh, coming across a tweet that, uh, Lori made and thought that it captured exactly a point that I was kind of working on in a book. And so I actually quoted her, um, I quoted her tweet in a a book. I, and I went back right now just to look at which book it was. And I can't even remember which book it was that I quoted her. And anyway, she doesn't even know about that. I, I told her on the show that I, that I had quoted her in a book and she didn't even, yeah, wasn't aware of that. Anyway, um, Lori has she's written this recent book called uh, "Handle with Care: How Jesus Redeems the Power of Touch in Life and Ministry." And so the book deals with um, how Christians should navigate physical touch in a Me Too era. Is is the best way I can kind of summarize it. So we talk really frankly um, and really just honestly about navigating that, for lack of better terms, that balance between um, touching each other, like being actually physical with each other and yet, um, being sensitive to how, um, certain forms of physical touch can violate somebody else's space and how to navigate kind of the, the, the balance between being, um, flirtatious on the one hand and, you know, maybe, um, Going too far with the so-called Billy Graham rule. On the other, where you know men maybe don't even you know minister to women you know for fear of being uh, for that being taken as a sexual advance or whatever. So I, I ask a lot of really good, honest questions. Like you know, hey, if after I give a talk and I'm talking to men and women, is it okay for me to hug a woman who is like sharing her story and maybe in, in tears? Um, and I'm, I'm I'll just tell you right now, I'll I'll say it again on this podcast, I. I'm really nervous about how my, um, my friendliness or even my physical touch could be interpreted. And so I I do have these fears and I I invited Lori on the show to help me navigate, um, navigate those, those fears in a really gospel centered way. So, so I, this episode is so helpful for me. And and Lori has thought through this on a really, um, uh, on a really thoughtful and in-depth level. Um, Here's... (laughs) Here's the bad news about 35 minutes into the conversation. My internet goes out. Okay. So my internet goes out. I have to hit pause. Everything freezes. And I go up, I reboot my internet to no avail. It still doesn't work. I did it again. It still doesn't work. So I go, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to um, hotspot my computer um, with my phone. And for some reason, my data or data, whatever, LTE, doesn't work. And so I spend about 15 or 20 minutes trying to fix the situation. And it just didn't happen. Didn't happen. So I, our conversation got cut off short. And I have a little, I just added a little commentary at the end, just my own kind of commentary. So to give some kind of conclusion to it, but we just got kind of got cut off mid conversation and I almost scrapped the file because I was so frustrated. Um, But I was like, you know, there was so much good stuff here. I think it was good stuff uh, that that we, that we discussed that I'm like, you know what? I would rather live with the technical embarrassment of having a, lame internet because i live in the podunk country uh like backwoods neighborhood of idaho where our my internet company says yeah we can't increase your bandwidth beyond like 10 megabytes per whatever i don't know what that means but i have a horrible internet here and it's really unpredictable so we just have to live with that anyway <laughs> more than you needed to know i i i yeah anyway um so please welcome to the show lori ferguson wilbert again her book is handle with care how jesus redeems the power of touch in life and ministry and i think this conversation is so so important in our uh, me too era in uh, in the year 2020 <laughs> I am here with, uh, well, I, I you know, I used to say Lore, but it's actually Lori technically, it right? Is.
1: Yeah, it is.
0: You're okay. the only one who says Lore. <laughs> I, you know, I don't know if you know this, but I quoted a tweet you made seven years ago. Uh, I mean, one of my books, I think it's in my book on grace called Karis, God's Scandalous Grace for Us. I think that's the book I quoted in, but I remember, and I don't, I'm not even... I mean, I'm on Twitter and stuff, but I just, for some reason, just happened to randomly come across something you said while I was writing this book, and I was like, gosh, that captures it well. I didn't even know who you were, and since then, I've been following you more, um... But anyway, so I did you even know that you're quoted? You're, one I of your tweets is quoted in a no. footnote in some book I wrote a long time ago. Now I've just
1: been found out that I haven't read your book. I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> so uh, <laughs> why don't you give us a quick backstory about who you are, um, your upbringing, your conversion, or whatever. <laughs> and we don't need to spend a lot of time here, although just offline, you, I'm kind of fascinated to hear about your story a little bit. But I do want to get into your, uh, your recent book and, and the topic of, um, well, well, yeah, we'll, we'll get there when we get there.
1: Yeah, so uh, raised in a, as we were talking about before we start hitting record, uh, raised in a pretty fundamentalist uh, family. I wouldn't say even super religious, just super fundamentalist uh, family and uh, did not ever really hear the gospel till I was 29. And uh, that's when the Lord saved me. Raised in so. the
0: church though? Like you said, it wasn't really... Uh, or-
1: yes kind of but but like i would say in and out a lot of like home church situations um so i wouldn't say just it was definitely not like a mainstream christian okay um environment and and certainly not a gospel environment at all like i i i thought the word grace was a girl's name
0: (laughs) wow really
1: yeah Wow. i had no concept of the cross i knew what sin was obviously but i didn't um I didn't know what grace was or really what the cross well, meant. And so yeah, the Lord saved me at twenty nine and I'm thirty-nine now, so about ten years ago. Okay. And um I'm a writer, a wife, I live in Texas. I'm not from Texas and I've been trying to leave Texas pretty much since I got here, but I'm here.
0: My my <laughs> Texan now. audience is not gonna like that. <laughs> I I know they hate it when I say that, but it's what it's the truth. I'm not gonna lie. So yeah. And you're and, uh, t- tell, so you, how many books have you written? I'm just scanning your page right now. Two? Just, or, one. just one. Just
1: one. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is the first one.
0: Okay. And tell us, tell us about that book. What's a title, subtitle? What's the gist of it? And then that's, that's, I'm going to launch that. I'm going to use that as a launching pad into um, the topic of your book.
1: Okay, great. It's called Handle with Care, How Jesus Redeems the Power of Touch in Life and Ministry. It's a mouthful of a subtitle. <laughs> um, but basically I just, I wanted to kind of think about Our world is kind of reckoning with Me Too Church too right now. We're reckoning with, um, I mean, we're reckoning with all kinds of things in the culture and in the church. And I just want to think through, okay, let's go back to the drawing board and how did Jesus interact with humans as a body with other bodies? And so it's not contrary to popular opinion. It's not, I'm not trying to make everyone huggers. Uh, That's not the point of the book. The point is to how do we care for the person in front of us as a body? How do we care for their body? Uh, and also how do we care for our own body, mm-hmm. uh, in interacting with, with others? So that's the point.
0: So yeah. Um, what's your take on the whole me too movement? I mean, what, let me pretend like I've, I was on Mars for the last two years and I just <laughs> got back to America and I heard hashtag me too. And I'm like, what, what, what's that? Like, how, how would you explain it? And what's your kind of perspective on the me too movement?
1: Yeah, I think it's a needed movement in some ways, a necessary movement. I think we have a very, um, I would say, malnourished understanding, anemic understanding of uh, what's permissible, what's helpful, what's uh, appropriate between members of the opposite sex, members of the same sex, um, and so I, I think, Me Too is necessary to sort of say, like, sort of lay down the flag and just say, hey, there's a problem in the way that that touch is handled and inappropriately handled, um, both in the church and out of the church. And I think outside the church we see it sort of carte blanche, like, take whatever you want. Um, and so Me Too is kind of a a um a call to just say, you can't do that. You can't treat people like that. But I think in the church we've, we have sadly uh, we have such an underdeveloped understanding of touch and what's appropriate to uh, to the point that we just sort of lay down laws. We put sort of the Billy Graham law in place and we just kind of have these sort of arbitrary rules and we don't actually really think through how those things care for or don't care for the people in front of us and around us or even our own hearts.
0: So I, I, my, um, I wasn't raised nearly as fundamentalist as you are, but conservative, conservative Christian. I mean, yeah. John MacArthur, environment, everything. Um, and I would say I, I maybe intuitively, I don't think it was like pounded into me, but I would say I adopted a sort of, um, Billy Graham rule on steroids, um, <clears throat> My motivation, and, and and I'm not defending that necessarily. I just I'm, I, I just want to. I'm I'm only recently seeing some of the dangers, or fallout of that, um, and I want you to pastor me through this a little bit. But I, you know, grow when I first got saved in 19. You know, I, I was a very kind of flirtatious guy. You know, loved to just kind of date around, and and I immediately, you know, just became aware of how. Gosh, you know, I'm a volunteering in a youth group. There's all these high school girls. And the least little thing I do can be mis- misread. I get somebody attention. They can be interpreted as flirtatious. And the second a youth leader is flirting with high school girls, whether you are or not, that's you're done, you know? So I'd of almost fear, I was like, I'm not even going to talk to any girls, you know? And I, I probably would be um, taken as more standoffish with even colleague, female colleagues and stuff. Um, largely because it was like a pendulum swing so far from where I used to be, so I think my motivation I think was good, but now I see like well gosh and, and it, what, what the one blind spot major blind spot I had is just the just that idea gives the impression that I think every female is kind of an erotic you know potential or like you 're just, you're just a, a walking kind of stumbling block rather than an image of god barren, you know um and as several women have said, well, a lot of women have now missed out on opportunities to be pastored by you in, in this whole process. So I, I'm just, I'm, I'm on a learning, um, a learning process. So anyway, th- take it from there. H- help, help like speak into maybe the pros and cons of a Billy Graham rule and, and help me, you know, navigate this really touchy issue of male, female <laughs> relationships.
1: Yeah, I think it is touchy. I don't think you're alone in that. And I think, I think some of it starts stems from like, we are so busy thinking about what everyone else is thinking about that. We're not thinking about what God's thinking about. And so my husband and I have a saying in our home that we have to be faithful to the word of God and not to an outcome. And I think that's a really scary place to be because we, you know, we are all about outcomes in American
0: yeah.
1: um, individualism Um And we're afraid of outcomes. We want particular outcomes. And so we basically just put these laws in place in order to prevent us from having to exercise faith and obedience and righteousness. And I think when we look at the life of Jesus, we see a man who he did not avail himself to the narrative that might've been told about him. Uh, He availed himself. He said again and again, you know, I'm doing what I see my father doing. My food is to do the will of my father. And so how do we do that? Because we're not Jesus. How do we do that? I think it means we have to, I think in a lot of ways you have to take a really big step back. So a lot of people are like, oh, you just want to make everyone huggers. I'm like, no, I actually think we need to take a a big step back from both laws and licentiousness in these areas. And we need to take a good hard look at why we're doing particular things or why not. And so in the book I talk about um, a pastor I knew who he refused to – he refused to engage with women, so he wouldn't hug them. He wouldn't meet alone with them. And I asked him one day, we had good friendship, and I asked him, you know, what's what's behind that? What's going on there? And he said, Well, my wife was was inappropriately had an inappropriate re- re- interaction with a with a pastor when she was young, and I just don't want to give her any reason to think that I might do the same thing. And I thought about that for a couple of days, a couple of weeks. And I came back and I said, have you ever thought about how like it's instead of just sort of uh, caving to your wife's fears here, that this is an opportunity for you to pastor your wife and shepherd your wife and help, help your wife come to a place of healing and wholeness. And instead of walking sort of around and with kid gloves and everything. And have you thought about how the women that you pastor might be uh, perceive your lack of attention to them or interaction with them as as them being the problem Mm. and so by by not shepherding your wife you're also not shepherding all these women and i think those conversations yeah i think those conversations (laughs) are really hard because they really do they help us to see when we are so idealistic in the way that we talk about shepherding people and caring for people but when it comes down to brass tacks it's just a little bit more difficult than. Mm-hmm. Then we, we actually want it to be, it's not quite as simple mm-hmm. as, you know, three points in a poem.
0: Yeah, no, that's good. Um, how, how do you, so for, for several guys, I think the Me Too movement has like made us skittish, you know, like I don't, you know, like you, you know, I, I speak and travel and stuff. And, um, you know, I, after I'm done speaking, I'll get a bunch of people who want to talk. Half of them are women. Um, sometimes I'll have a woman you know, sharing her story. She's crying, you know, and I'm like, I, I, I'm nervous. Well, just as a general rule, I'm nervous about giving a hug to a woman that I don't know. And I, and I would say I'm, I'm fine hugging strangers, whatever. I hug guys all the time, you know? And, um, uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm nervous. Is that, is that hell I mean, is that okay? I mean, because it's like, what if they've been sexually abused? What if my hug communicates something that I'm not intending, but then by not hugging, yeah, I don't know. Like, it's, it's such a weird place to be. What's, so what's your advice to me as a person? Yeah, so
1: I, I talk about this a lot in the book. Okay. Um, and I think like, what my aim is, is to help the reader understand that they are, we are people of faith. So we are not people who walk by arbitrary rules. And so we have to, so every interaction that we have with every human, including our own self, is an act of faith. Um, So it's an act of faith to practice self-care. It's an act of faith um, to uh, have platonic, uh, good, healthy touch in marriage that isn't sexual. It's an act. These are all sort of acts of faith that we engage in. And when it comes to people we don't know, so I would say in the situation that you came up with, and I'm also, I just want to say this, I'm very, very careful in the book to not give prescriptive advice or counsel. I think that that's the worst thing that I could do because I'm not you. Yeah. And I'm not that person standing in front of you.
0: Right.
1: You have a story that's unique to you and no one else has your story. And she has a story that's unique to her and no one else has that story. And I think sometimes we we tend to bring our story with us and think that everyone needs to sort of meet us on our story's terms instead of meeting them and just saying like I don't know your story but I'm going to sit with you and and hear it and then maybe make a a faith call of, of what needs to happen in that moment. And so sometimes a woman, a woman, just a person, a human, I'm going to say a human does need a hug. I I, I used to be on the prayer team at my church and I was standing up front last summer. And uh, this woman she never saw her before in my life. She came up and you know, there's 1500 people in the sanctuary. And this woman came up and just said, I need a hug. Can you just, can you just give me a hug? Can you just hold me? And so I just held her for five minutes and I thought, you know, Mm. like sometimes that's just what people need. That's what they need in the moment. They just, they do need to be held. And even for someone, and this is, this is not prescriptive. I just want to be really clear about Mm. that. Um, But even for someone who's experienced abuse to be pulled close to, to, to be held by someone can be profoundly healing. Um, Mm. Now that needs to be on her terms. It can't be something that we force uh, her to do, but. It's, it's perhaps what she needs. And I think when you look at the life of Jesus, we see him entering into, I mean, you just see all through scripture, we see the woman at the well, uh, Mary washing his feet, Mary anointing his his head for burial, Mary clinging to him in the garden uh, after he was raised. You see all these interactions with women that that I think in the American church today we'd be suspect of. And yet Jesus did them with, I mean, mm-hmm. with great grace. And, uh, I mean, he was sinless. So.
0: How do you, so yeah, no, it's helpful. I mean, is it as simple as, again, going back to my scenario, just asking the person, if I sense like, Mm -hmm. man, I feel like this person might need a hug. I feel like that'd be good. Just asking them, Hey, do you mind, can I give you a hug? And is it a side hug or full frontal? (laughs) I mean, I really, these are important.
1: (laughs) They are. So, and again, I don't want to be prescriptive, but I think in your position, I think it would be right and good for you to say, Hey, Um, I'm sensing you might need a hug. Do you need a hug? And then to let them, let them decide how they just hug you. So if they come in for a side hug, great. That says nothing about you. It says nothing about whether God loves you or you're a good man or you're a man of purity. Um, And if they come in for a full hug, you are a, a son who is loved by God. And like, that is, God has put you in a place where you can minister and you can go to him with, um, thoughts or concerns you might have. Um, so
0: does that make sense? No, it totally makes sense. Here's another fear I have too. And I don't know how to say that. It's so awkward for me to even voice this, but like speakers look really good on stage. Yeah. And, um, I'm a speaker, I'm on stage and, and there's this perception of me that's just simply untrue because they don't see me being a jerk of a husband and my wife, an idiot father, uh, um, you know, an aloof Christian an apathetic Christian, a poor leader. They don't say on stage, I'm a, I'm f- you know, funny. I'm a good leader. I'm spiritual. I could, I could give this perception that let me just say some women, maybe even some men, because I, I don't assume everybody's heterosexual, um, you know, could, could, could see in me what they wish their spouse was, even though what they think they see in me is just completely untrue. And I'm just nervous. I'm just, and and maybe I'm just have too high of a view of the forward. I'm just nervous about not like, you know, it's not like some affair is going to break out, you know, in the middle of, you know, but like, I, I just, I'm nervous about filling a void in somebody's life in a really unhealthy way. You know, I don't know. Is that, is that even, I'm just, is well, that a legitimate concern? I
1: think, yeah, I think some things are real monsters and some things are just sort of a monster under your bed, you know? It's yeah. not real. Um and I think because there are so many narratives out there that have been like I mean really damaging narrative. really damaging situations have happened where people in some kind of relationship, an abusive relationship where there has been that sort of thing taking place. I think as a speaker, you're not you're not going to like that is i think too high a view of ourselves to think that we're going to like somehow replace something that someone needs in a, in a deeper way and it can be um perhaps what they need in that moment is just, just to know that there is someone out there who walks and who who is a good father and a good husband and mm-hmm. um yeah. that that can be healing too and again we can't control the narrative i think we want to honor all people we want to you want to outdo ourselves in honoring mm-hmm. everyone. I want to assume the best about everyone. Um, but it's not my job to control yeah. their Um, so even I think the scripture that says like avoid all kinds of, of evil appearance of evil, like that, I think that scripture gets taken out of context yeah. so often. Um, and so we're not, that's not the, that is not that, scripture verse does not apply to 99% of the situations in which we're in. And it is not evil to care for the person in front of you. Any more evil than it was for Mary to cling to Jesus when he was, when he was newly risen from the grave.
0: Yeah, that's good. Okay. So now on the flip side, what about, (laughs) it seems like the growing number of church leaders who um, weren't giving innocent hugs that were, Again, maybe not, maybe not, maybe not having full-on affairs, but really going way farther than they should. Like, how do you should should that caution us at all, or how do we navigate that side of the whole thing?
1: Yeah, and I think it absolutely should caution us, and I talk about this more in the book too. (laughs) Like, we 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 should and that's why I say we've got to back way up here. This isn't something I'm not saying rush headlong into these things. I'm saying back way up, start to consider your actions, start to think about your actions. It's really a book about embodiment and mm-hmm. a theology of touch. It's about creating a theology, a personal theology of touch. Mm-hmm. Um, and how am I going to conduct myself in the, the spaces around me and how do I want my family conduct, to conduct themselves? Mm-hmm. Um, in the spaces around me. And so I think it is, we are right to feel a sense, not, not of, I think a collective, a collective sense of guilt mm-hmm. is I think appropriate for us in the church today. I think what I mean by that is we should feel a sense of, of weightiness to how many people have been abused and how, uh, sinfully many shepherds have taken their, their role. Um, with many people. And so we should have a bit of sort of circum like spec. We should be really circumspect about this. Um, this isn't, these aren't, there aren't easy answers to these questions. Yeah. Um, there should be some hesitation on behalf of both male and female leaders. Yeah. Um,
0: what are, what are some, what did you say some negative things that the Me Too movement has done or created? Um, if, if there are any. <laughs>
1: Oh, gosh, Uh, you're going to get me in trouble here. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I think I I heard a a politician, of all people, say this a couple years ago. He he said it's a needed movement, but there are going to be some mistakes. And that's, I think, when we look at any sort of revolution, any sort of movement, we can see sort of, if we're discerning people, we can see the goodness in the movement. Um, We can see the the needed things, but we can also see that, "Mm, man, Hashtag activism can lead to a sense. I mean, here's one thing. It can lead to a sense of accomplishing something without actually accomplishing something.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, it can lead to false accusations, which are profoundly damaging. I mean, personally, I know several men who have been falsely accused and how devastating that has been for them and their families and just their their everything about them. Um, so I think we do need to be really careful and mindful. I think this is a moment when, you know, we need to be wise as serpents and gentle as doves. And by that, I mean, we need to believe people um, when they come to us with a story. We need to, to believe that they have an experience and whether the experience that they're communicating to us is fully 100% true, it feels 100% true to them. And so we need to begin to interact with them as mm-hmm. as human image bearers and not just... Um, sort of sweep their experiences under the rug and, mm-hmm. and things like that.
0: I, I am nervous mm-hmm. about, and I don't see, I don't think I see this in the church as much, but I guess in the broader culture, the, the whole, you know, believe all women, I think, I mean, that's just the biggest crock. I mean, I, I, I get where it's coming from, but I mean, really? I, well, I mean, it's, it's, it is ironic with the people promoting that, then they get accused and like, Oh no, yeah, believe all women, except that woman who just accused me of something, you know, it's um, so, I, I don't know. It's just, it's, it has a in a, a very thin, distorted anthropology behind it, as if just because you're a female means you don't lie or you don't, you know, you're sinless or you know. <laughs> At the same time, maybe it's an overcorrection of not believing any women, you know, or, or, or uh, assuming that they're not telling the truth when, when. In many cases, they are. I don't. Do you, have, do you have thoughts on the the believe all women? Am I out to lunch on on my You're not about that?
1: <laughs> I think you're right. I think that the the Christian worldview says that like I mean, from the from the our first parents, you know, sin has entered the world, and we um, we don't believe all people. We we should be judicious and wise, and um, we want to be wise people. God has given us. Uh, the fruit of the spirit. He's given us his Holy spirit to help us to be wise and discerning and to, um, you know, Proverbs talks about the first to state his case seems right until the second comes along. And so fortunately we live in a land un- sadly we live in a land that's like, you know, whoever's making the la- the squeaky wheel kind of is the the one who's, who's right. Um, but we do live in a country where there are laws and hopefully a, a due process process that will take you through, That and and hopefully the truth is the truth comes out. I think it is very much in backlash to I mean generations of women who haven't been believed, um, which is really grievous. I mean, if you think about it, just years and years and years. I mean, generations, yeah, generations and generations of women haven't been listened to. And I think um, one of the things that I I think I, I really like it's necessary for us to consider is that. Um, one of the books I quote from extensively in the book is The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk. Such he, a good book.
0: Oh, man. Such
1: a good book. But he he talks about sort of um, the way that even generationally bodies keep the score. So he's talking in reference to slavery and how um, black bodies are still keeping the score today. They wow. are still bearing on them sort of the the these, the scars of slavery from generations ago um and that's really profound and if we can if we can if we can understand even the scars that our own bodies bear and we talk i talk about this in the chapter on broken bloodlines if we we can understand our own stories and the scars that we bear and the the wounds that we bear on our bodies we can begin to see that everyone around us is carrying a story with them. They're carrying scars, they're carrying wounds, their body is keeping a score of something. Mm -hmm. And so this sort of believe woman, women mantra that's out there is, is in some ways the, you're just seeing the scar Mm -hmm. of generations of women not being believed.
0: Yeah, no, that's, that's, yeah, that book just blew me away. I mean, that's, yeah, it's, uh, I'm glad to see it's being so wide. I think it's I mean it came out like 5 years ago and it's still like Yeah. yeah. bestseller, yeah. Yeah. It's
1: such a good book.
0: Um <clears throat> apart from physical touch, what about uh just verbal compliments, you know? And again I'm, I'm going to get really specific cuz I I have this just, just goes through my mind all the time. I mean, I I I am nervous complimenting another female on their physical appearance. Is that help me navigate that. Like if a girl, yeah, I mean, it, and, and part of this is, 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 you know, my wife who doesn't have a history of abuse or anything. She's, you know, grew up good church experience, good, you know, uh, good experience with guys and everything. But when another man like compliments her physically, she gets a little bit like a little bit like, like, ah, it just doesn't feel right to her. And that's just, that's just her, you know, whatever. Um, so I, I kind of wear that a little bit, like, man, if I compliment, Hey, that's a beautiful dress. That really makes you look good. Like, is, I, should I be nervous about giving physical compliments on another female? Or again, I know, I know you're not going to give, be prescriptive, but help me. Well, I'm going to say
1: this. I'm going to say this. We are, uh, we are complex humans. So we are bodies, minds, spirits, souls, hearts. We are all those things. Mm-hmm. And sadly, I think we have, um, sort of deconstructed the body, we've deconstructed all that, that complexity, we've deconstructed it. And we sort of compartmentalize all these different parts of humans around us and even our very even our own selves. Um and that has led to all kinds of 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 issues in the church. And I think when we merely see or appreciate a human image bearer in front of us for one aspect of who they are, Mm -hmm. their beauty or their mind or their heart. Um, and we continually affirm that part of them. We are, we're participating in it, in a desecration of their, um, their whole hmm. complex image bearing personhood. Hmm. Um, and so when we merely treat them as bodies or merely treat them as minds or, and we see this everywhere, you don't, you, when you, Start to see it; you can't unsee it. Hmm. Um, and so, our job as believers is to begin to our job as as believers is to image God in the way that He brings all those things. He brings sort of compartmentalized things together, and, um, and we see that in the Godhead reflected um, in His oneness. And so, I would say that's a sort of a theological mm-hmm. answer to your question. And I think when it gets, comes to to practical. To a practical answer to that question, I want to um, I wanna step back from seeing my brothers and my sisters um, as primarily and this might get me in trouble, primarily men and women. And I wanna see them as humans mm. and I wanna see them as image bearers primarily. And so Um, and even I talk about this in the chapter on marriage, I'm not primarily a wife and Nate isn't Mm. primarily a husband. He's primarily my brother in Christ and an image bearer of God. So my interactions with him need to be primarily as my brother in Christ, Mm. Um, secondarily as his wife. Um, And so, and I think when we learn that in marriage or even before marriage, that helps us to interact with all of our sisters and brothers in a way that is, I think, we can't control what they think. That's that's not even there's not even there's no question about that. We can't control their thoughts. Uh, we aren't we aren't in the business of mind control.
0: So would you say we, we should we shouldn't be concerned about that? So so again, going back to my again, I I'll just confess my fear of like, gosh, if I'm nice to this girl, man, you look so good today. I've even working out or not, I, I, I like, if I, if I mean something in a non, I'm not, I just, I'm just trying to honor another human being. If my motivation's right, I shouldn't worry about how that might be received.
1: I think it's, it's always going to take some sort of um, inventory of mm-hmm. the words that we speak. And so if your words primarily to a particular woman or to women in general are about the way that they look, mm-hmm. um, I think, it's time to do some inventory and some soul searching. Yeah. But if you find that you are like if you're being very self-aware and you are taking regular inventory of the ways that you are talking to specific women and women in general. Um and you are finding, man, I am I'm trying to affirm their hearts, their minds, their emotions, their uh, knowledge, their body, like I'm trying to affirm them as whole people. Hmm. So each woman in particular is sort of getting a whole, the whole package hmm. and women in general are getting the whole package. Then I think that's okay. Okay, I think that's great.
0: And, and is it right to say there, there will be some fallout. There will be another person, man or woman who might take that. And maybe they're in a healthy spot, unhealthy spot where they're just craving some kind of affirmation and maybe they will, latch on to that and maybe an unhealthy, maybe idolatrous. way. I mean, there's all kinds of negative (laughs) effects that can come from good deeds. Right. Or, I mean, that's just the way that we That's just going to happen.
1: Wouldn't you say though, that there are negative effects that can come from an absence of.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. totally. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So sometimes we get into unhealthy places because no one has, so you don't want to be the sole, um, the sole person who's giving that to them. You want them to be in a healthy community where they're receiving that. Um, in the, the book, I open up with a story from John Piper and he talks about how this woman continually cut herself. Uh, she was a single woman, an older woman. She would con- constantly self harm uh, t- to put herself in the hospital. And after a dozen times of this, he said, why do you keep doing this? And she said, I like it when they touch me. Wow. So She was harming her body. So she would go to the ER because she knew she would be touched there. So we need to understand that there are people who are in, they are in really unhealthy places. I mean, they're, they're doing really unhealthy things to get the the care, the actual care that she needed to be touched. Hmm. She needed to be treated like a human being. And the only way she needed to do it was to harm herself. And so there's plenty of people out there like that. I would say the majority of people out there are probably like that. Um, And so we want to help people get, the holistic care that they need so that they're not running to empty cisterns. You don't want to be a sole place where they're receiving that. Um, but again, you can't control, Yeah. you cannot control their outcome. And maybe you're just one person in the the sort of stream that, who affirms them and loves them.
0: That's true in any case. I mean, you, you can preach a great sermon that proclaims the truth and some knucklehead's going to take it in the wrong direction. Or that. That's just yeah. always going to. That's always going to happen, you know. Um, We need to be. That's why we
1: have that. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry.
0: No, you go ahead. Go
1: ahead. (laughs) I was. That's why we have the. You know, we have this um, print in our home that says "Fidelity to the Word of God and not to an outcome." Like, we just have to remember that again and again.
0: Yeah, that's good. Um, Did you get into? Did you do study research on the science behind like human touch? I heard that like if a if a newborn is like. They they will die if or whatever like they they, you, they need the physical touch actually especially if they're in critical condition that keeps them alive or I mean is there is there a science behind just the physiology Yeah.
1: There is, I don't talk about it a lot in the book. Um, I was trying to stay mostly in theology, less in science, but yeah, there are, there's all kinds of studies out there about just the need for human touch. It's also, I mean, we're learning so much in sort of psychology right now about attachment theories and mm-hmm. the need for like healthy attachment at a young age. And the. it's absolutely necessary for a child to have that in order to be a healthy um, well-attached person as they grow up and so yeah there's all kinds of science the science um I always tell people make sure when you give someone a hug uh you hug them with your arms on the outside someone you someone you know and someone you love and you who with whom you're in relationship with you give them a hug with your arms on the outside and hug them for nine seconds because that's how long it takes for endorphins to to come out and then then you put your arms down at your side and let them do it to you for nine seconds. So you both get to, that. there are physiological things that happen in our brains when when we do hug and when we are hugged. Um, so and
0: those wait, things are
1: profoundly healing.
0: So hugging somebody for nine seconds, it takes that long and endorphins are released? Uh,
1: yes. Really?
0: Yep.
1: Yeah. Yep. Wow.
0: It's brain that's, science. Yeah. That's great. Well, okay, what about the. The love languages, you know, some people Mm -hmm. are, what's the love language of touch? Is it called?
1: um, It's physical touch or something. Physical touch.
0: So uh, are there some people that need touch and other people that don't, or is it some need it more than others? Or how how does that work?
1: So um, I make the argument that we all need it. And I think we all need uh, all five love languages to some degree. Um, Some of us want particular ones more than we want other ones. And I think it's because God wants to heal something in us. So I hear lots of people say, well, I'm not touchy. I'm like, I think God might want to heal something mm-hmm. in you. I'm not going to tell them that most of the time. But uh, I oftentimes just, I think that it is it is something that all humans need. God didn't make us spirits. He made us mm-hmm. with bodies. And he, he not only did he make us with a body, but he came down as a body. There's a reason for that. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, we don't want to think about it. Mm-hmm. We don't want to think about the 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 implications of what it means that we have bodies, and God came as a body, and mm-hmm. um, so yeah, I think we actually need all five love languages.
0: No, yeah, that's and, good. Yeah. So you're saying if somebody is like, "Oh yeah, physical touch," no, no, that's not my thing. You, you would say that that maybe some people need it more than others, or resonate with it more than others. But if, if somebody's like, "I don't want that," it makes me uncomfortable, then there might be an, that that's coming up a place of unhealthiness. Would you say, typically? Are you there? And that's where we got cut off. (laughs) Oh, man, how frustrated. I literally spent um, about 20 minutes racing around my house, trying to get the internet going, rebooted it twice, tried to hotspot my phone to my computer, and nothing's working. My internet is gone. My internet has the coronavirus, I think. I don't know what happened, but that was such a bummer because I was so enjoying the conversation, and... Um, man, I just so appreciated, um, Lori's perspective, just that, that balance between, I don't know, like being sensitive to someone else's narrative, you know, and, and being sensitive to how your actions might be taken. Um, and yet not letting that sensitivity or, or we, you know, let's just say fear, um, dictate our, um, all all of our actions. And so I hope you enjoyed that conversation again, um, The book is Handle With Care, How Jesus Redeems the Power of Touch in Life and Ministry. And I want to just read, she has a blurb on the back of her book that I think is really helpful um, in connecting the gist of the book to a lot of the things we're talking about. Lori Lori says this, uh, whether it's fearful side hugs on one side or sexual abuse on the other, both the culture and the church aren't doing very well with touch. Singles are staying single longer. Dating is wrought with angst over purity. And marriages struggle to not interpret all forms of touch as sexual. Even the Bible seems to have endless rules about not touching things. There is simply no place where touch doesn't seem seem threatened or threatening. But a curious thing happens when Jesus comes uh, into his ministry. He touches. Jesus touches the sick and the outcast, the bleeding and the unclean. What can it mean for families, singles, marriages, churches, communities in the world to have healthy, pure, faithful, ministering touch. Somewhere in the mess of our assumptions and fears about touch, there is something beautiful and good and God given. As Jesus can show us, there is ministry in touching. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I you know, I reflect on my own trajectory in this kind of conversation. And I you know, I talked about it a little bit in this podcast and I've talked about it in other podcasts, how I've, you know, just for lack of better terms, of kind of error on the side of the bill the Billy Graham rule, you know, and just not being um just being overly maybe concerned with um not sending mixed signals or not um, being um uh, not touching somebody in a way that could be um offensive or taken the wrong way. Um and, and I I've erred in that direction, but I I, I do. I, I want to grow in this area and figure out I mean, and I, so cliched, I hate even saying it, but I truly want to figure out how to embody the rhythm of Jesus when it comes to touching other physical humans. And some people might say, well, you know, Jesus was sinless. And so he could touch and be touched by other females and it wasn't an issue. Well, I don't like that line of reasoning. Uh, G- yes, Jesus was sinless, um, but he was tempted in all ways that we are. So all of the temptations that we experience, according to the book of Hebrews and other passages, um, Jesus experienced those too. I mean, the whole point of his, well, not whole point, but a large point of his incarnation is to in, embody the 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 pure essence of what it means to be human, which means going through the struggles that we went through, though without sin. So I, I just don't like always punting to Jesus's sinlessness uh, to, and therefore say, well, you know, what Jesus did here isn't really what we should do, or uh, I just don't. I think that's, I think it's the exact opposite, right? I mean, we should look at the life and rhythm of Jesus and say, we should live like that. So if Jesus did, you know, have a healthy boundary between, you know, um or healthy, healthy balance between boundaries and also not letting fear control how he um touched other people, then I think we should model, model that. So i'm going to keep working at this i 'm going to keep trying to navigate that balance uh it's not easy and, and um i'm you know I, I will continue to wrestle with fear uh, of how things might be misread um, but i also I, I want to embody Jesus to both males and females um, and so yeah i'm going to keep I keep trying to wrestle with how to do that so I hope you enjoyed this episode and sorry again for the technical difficulties towards the end there. But I, you know, I almost just ditched the whole thing and said, all right, well, we'll just scrap this. But I think there was just too much good stuff here. Um, I didn't want to throw away. So we'll just have to live with kind of the, um, the technical um, uh, lameness at the end here where, where my internet just got tanked. So thanks for uh, listening again to theology in the raw. Um, I encourage you to go uh, buy and read Lori's book. And until next time, we'll see you on the show.